morning, everyone. How's the new year treating you so far? Good? Excellent. Uh, one of the things that I have always found challenging is to stay focused. I mean, I know what to do for God. I know how to love him. I know how to serve others. Uh, but life gets busy, and I don't want to use that as an excuse, but things get in the way of those priorities, of those things that I want to do, and it's really difficult at times to stay focused, to keep that energy up and to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And so I thought at the beginning of this year what we would do is we would look at four different things through the month of January that will empower us, strengthen us, encourage us, equip us to stay focused on Christ and his kingdom. Now these are not agenda items. Don't make a list out of these and wake up every morning and go, okay, I got to do this, 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 this. Christianity is not a list. Christianity is a passion and a way of living in every area of life, whether you have a list to follow or not. But these are four things that I have found get in the way and also encourage me to stay focused on Christ and his kingdom. We have such an amazing opportunity as God's people to invest ourselves in the lives of the people right next to us, to demonstrate his love and mercy and tenderness, to demonstrate forgiveness we have an opportunity to rise to the occasion and be salt and light in a culture and a society that doesn't want truth, that wants everything based on feelings and emotions, and quite frankly, it's fine with you believing whatever you want to believe as long as you don't infringe upon my right to believe whatever I want to believe. Christianity is different, though. We have the truth. And we have a way of life that should influence those around us, but we get sidetracked from that. Sometimes we lose focus. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the main things in the Christian life so that we can be effective in living for Christ. Is that a good thing, to be effective for living for Christ? Absolutely. Otherwise, you're just a Sunday morning attender who will be back here next Sunday to attend. That's if I make it short enough, and you go, okay, the sermon was short enough this year, we'll come back next week. But the reality is, is we are called to something higher than just attendance. We are called higher than just following a list of, okay, I did this today, I read this today, I prayed for this today. We are called to live passionate lives for Christ and his kingdom. And as we do that, the Lord says, there's going to be tremendous blessing that follows that. And there are also going to be tremendous hardships that follow that. But as you go through the hardships, I will be there every step of the way. You will not engage in those hardships by yourself. But I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so one of the things for me, one of the first things that kingdom living teaches us a lot about is this concept called worry. Has anyone ever worried? Don't worry if someone sees you raise your hand because we all know you have. Now, I've mentioned before, Christians like to call it, I have a deep concern about this. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm planning my future. Okay, it's worry. And worrying can suck the life out of you. It can suck your energy. It can just 
depletes you from wanting to do anything. In fact, it, it leads directly to depression. It leads directly to this dark place. Worry. Now, I think that there are three main types of worry, and these are mine, these are not uh, defined in Scripture, but I think there's three main types of worry. The first type of worrier, and you might relate to one of these, three of these, or even more of these, is the storyteller. And let me give you an example. I got a letter in the mail 15 years ago, maybe even close to 20 years ago, uh, after Sarah and I had gotten married and we were living, we, we were married a few years, and I got a letter from the IRS. And it wasn't one of those, oh, here's a check kind of letter. I left that on the kitchen table, the counter, wherever it was, and I ran through all the different scenarios of what this letter could be. Was this an arrest warrant? And then I played out what it would be like if I was arrested and put into prison. And it was not a good, good ending. And then I thought, well, maybe they're going to garnish my wages. And then I ran to all these scenarios of, well, how am I going to afford the apartment? How am I going to afford a family if they're going to garnish my wages? Then I ran to the scenario, they're just going to take everything I own. And I go, oh, now i got to restart everything. All of this from the fact that I had just simply a letter. But I had made up all these different scenarios. I had already concluded all the different things that would go wrong from this letter. The storyteller. They tell you all the bad scenarios that possibly might happen. This 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 might happen. And before you know it, you are headlong into who knows what rabbit trails and holes you went down, but you can't get out of it. Because every time you think of a different scenario, there's another path. Oh, it could be this. Oh, maybe they're congratulating me for something. Those kind of things stop right away because they never congratulate you for anything. So, just so you're not wondering, I did open the letter. And it wasn't the worst case scenario. They weren't arresting me. But something happened on the taxes. I don't know what it was. And uh, we owed them close to $25,000. And it was just horrific, horrible, we got it was all taken care of, but it was just one of those miserable moments. And then every couple weeks, or it felt like maybe every, uh, every other month, we'd get another letter from the IRS telling us how we're doing in our process. And oh, those were just horrible, because every time I got it, I thought of the, one of the worst case scenarios, and I'd run down another rabbit trail. So maybe you've gotten something like that, some news, or, uh-oh, something big is going to happen tomorrow at work. And you run all the scenarios in your mind and you wear yourself out with trying to figure out what's going to happen. God says, no. That's the storytelling way of worrying. And you think you're planning. You think you're addressing every scenario and possibility. But in essence, you are just confined to this moment of little terrors in your life about what might happen. The next kind of worrier is called the end gamer. Meaning this is the person who immediately runs to the last conclusion possible, and it usually is death. I'm gonna die. We're gonna die. And they just sort of end at that conclusion. They don't even run through the scenarios. They just know, uh-oh, I'm gonna get a call from the doctor tomorrow. I'm gonna die. And it's all about death. I got a letter from the IRS. Oh, it's a death penalty. I know it. <laughs> I might as well just give up. And they become this person who is terrified by any little bit of news because they know it's going to be the worst case scenario for them and they're going to die. The third type of worrier 
is the pretender. The one who goes, I'm ignoring it. I'm putting my head in the sand like an ostrich. Not, uh, I don't even know if they do that, but that's what the cartoons all show. They just ignore everything. Oh, everything is great. I got a letter from the IRS. This is fantastic. I owe taxes. Wonderful. I'm getting a report from the doctor. This is wonderful. And they just ignore it, but they're really not dealing with reality because God does place things in our lives for our character, for our refinement, to make us more like Jesus. And if we ignore those things and push those away and don't deal with them at all, we're a different kind of worrier. We're not addressing the problem. Now, I know that there's probably a lot of different scenarios, of different ways of worrying, different ways of sanctifying our worry in Christian terms. But in the end, God has a lot to say about worry, about stressing out, about looking into the future and trying to guess how it's going to end up. Because if you're like me, when I was a young kid, I guessed that I would be a general in the army. That hasn't succeeded. And I'm thankful that has not succeeded. So you may have had dreams and ideas of what you wanted the future to be. And for some people, if that doesn't happen, according to their timetable, they get upset, they get depressed, they get angry, they get frustrated, and they become focused on what was wrong in their life so they don't even live for Christ. They're so focused on it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. God has a lot to say about that. And we're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 6, his Sermon on the Mount, a very famous passage of verses here. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, we're given the very first insight into how to rid ourselves of worry so that we have an effective daily activity living for Christ and living for his kingdom. And the first thing to do is to have the right perspective. The right perspective of life. And Jesus starts by telling us in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? He starts by saying with the word, therefore. Anytime you see the word, therefore, in Scripture, it's a signal word. It means we need to pay attention to what happened in front of that verse. And in front of that verse, Jesus tells us a story about having a treasure in heaven. That you can't love both the treasures on earth and God. You can't serve two masters. There has to be one singular love in your life. And if you don't have that singular love of God in your life, then your life will fill, be filled with problems and issues and major disappointments. Major disappointments. And so then Jesus goes on to the next scenario. Well, what do we do with all these things in life? <coughs> and says, you don't worry about them. And he starts by two major things in that verse 25. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? The amount of energy you spend on your body is amazing. I'm not saying that we should go super old school and take a bath once a week. That's not what I'm talking about. It's good that we can shower every day. It is good that we can have clean clothes. It is good that we wear deodorant, perfume, those kind of things. Those are all good things. But some people take it to such an excess 
that they spend every dime, every moment, every free moment they have stressing out, can I wear this same shirt again next week? Will people notice that? Will people be recording it somehow and come and confront me and say, hey, you've worn that three times in the last two months. Do you not have any clothes? I know that's silly. But the world says that's a major priority. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you wear. Those are basic human needs, eating, drinking, and wearing clothes. But God says that can't be your priority. That can't be your focus, because if that's your focus, then you are following after a different type of God and not the one true God, not the God of Scripture, not Jesus. Your focus will be off. Christ will not be in your heart. Money will be in your heart. Looks will be in your heart. Food and drink will be in your heart. Clothing will be in your heart. Secondly, so the right perspective is that I have to look at all of life and realize this is pretty secondary. What I wear, what I eat are not going to be recorded in the chronicles of time and recited a thousand years from now. It's not going to be important. Hopefully the styles will be changed and different and hopefully the food will be different. But if we occupy ourselves with those type of things, we lose focus because our energy is spent worrying about what I'm going to eat, drink, and wear. Life is more than that. Well, of course, it's an obvious thing. Life is more than that, of course. And so he moves on to verse 26, tells us not only the right perspective, that, that life is more than the physical stuff, and now he gives us the right value. Look at the birds of the air, verse 26, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more of value than they? Okay? We see nature. We see the animals. We see all sorts of things around us that just sort of, by default in God's creation, gets taken care of. It amazes me the amount of energy, and I'm not, I'm not saying any this is right or wrong, but I'm, the amount of energy it takes to feed our pets at home. Our dog, we have just two pets, a dog and a, a rabbit, a dog and a rabbit. And well, the rabbit I don't do anything with, that's Caroline's. Well, basically, we do everything for it. But the amount of energy that's spent Time, money, energy on pets. And I look outside and I see rabbits everywhere. And you know what? They're doing okay. In fact, we got more rabbits than we did last year. And I see the deer. They're doing fine. I don't see... And the stray dogs in our neighborhood seem to be making a living too. They're doing fine. The birds, they come every year geese, all the little creepy, crawly little animals, they're all taken care of. Now, they, they work, and they, they pursue food, and I, I understand that, and it's a fallen world, so it's not perfect, but God somehow takes care of all of them, doesn't he? And the point is, if God takes care of them, and they're birds and animals, you are much more valuable than they are Will he not take care of you? You are uniquely made in the image of God. 
A bird isn't. A cat isn't. A rabbit isn't. A dog isn't. A flower, a tree, none of those are made in the image of God, but you are, as a human being. You are made in the image of God, which means you have innate, intrinsic value. Not because of what you've done or will do or have done, but because you are a handiwork, a highlight of his creation. He sent his son to die for you, not the animals, not the trees, not the flowers, as beautiful as they are and as amazingly gifted and talented for their environments they are. Jesus did not die for them. He died for you. The value of that death is tremendous. And he said, if I take care of the lesser things, don't you think I'm going to take care of you who are much more valued than all of creation? A thousand worlds are not worth as much as you as an individual before God. He's adopted you into his family. He's made you right. He's dealt with your sin. He's dealt with your punishment. He's given you glory and honor and the promise that he would make you like his son and all of his son's righteous glory and perfection. He's not promised that of creation. He will remake creation, yes, but he has valued you uniquely and specially. That's not to say you should have a big head and abuse creation. He gives us the mandate to care for it and nurture it, to respect it and to utilize it, not abuse it. But you are so much more valuable than those rabbits I see in the front yard surviving. If he takes care of them, He's going to take care of you. And he moves on further and says, here's the right answer to these questions in verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can you? Can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? By going through all the scenarios, by doing the end game scenario of, oh, this is all going to fall apart and I'm going to die. Or the scenario of, I'm going to ignore everything and just pretend nothing is happening in real life? Can you add any time? And of course, it's a rhetorical question, which means the answer is obvious. No, you can't. Now, there are some things that you can do to add an hour to your life. Uh, doctor tells me exercise is pretty important. I don't know. Eating healthy? Uh, putting a seatbelt on? Yeah, I've heard enough stories, yeah. So are there, there are some things that you can do preventatively to make your life better and maybe a little bit longer, but to sit in your dark space and worry about the different scenarios and consequences of those scenarios and paths and rabbit holes, you can't add to your life. You can't. And so the natural question is, why then should I worry? If it doesn't do anything productive for me, but it saps my energy and takes my focus off of Christ and his kingdom, why should I ever worry again? The answer is I shouldn't. All right. Uh, I solved that in like record time. Less than 15 minutes. Worry is now solved, right? We got it? No more worry? Oh, if that was only true. If it was only true, because even Jesus knows it can't be that simple for us. We always like to make things more complicated and frustrating 
We have the answer right in front of us. God takes care of everything. He can take care of me. I can trust him. But we still have this residual thing in our brain. Okay, that might work if everything is going good. But what if I get that letter from the IRS tomorrow that Tim was talking about? Or what if I get that call from the doctor? Or what if this, what if this, what if this? He knows that we are habitual worriers and stressors. And so he continues in verse 28 through 32 and tells us a lot of this is based on a relationship, the right relationship. And he goes, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, yet they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the field, which are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And then he gives us a little stinger. You of little faith. All right, so Jesus brings up the nature scenario again and says, a simple flower is beautiful. It's gorgeous. You can get lost in looking at that. You can get lost in looking at the mountains. You can get lost at looking at a tree. You can get lost at looking at the night sky or the clouds and how they move. You can get lost in just focusing on nature. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to appreciate that. But God says, but you need to make the connection here. If I take care of that and it mesmerizes you, you can stop and stare at a passing stream or a body of water or an ocean wave and you can just enjoy it. Don't you know that I can take care of you even more if I take care of something like this? A flower's here and gone. The beautiful grasses of a field here and gone. A tree here and gone, chop it up, make it firewood, it burns. You are more valuable than any of those things. You have value before God as a human being and as his adopted son and daughter. That just, <laughs> it explodes the importance of value he's placed on you because he's made right that image that was broken by sin. He's fixing it. He's fixed it in Christ on the cross and he's fixing it now in what's called sanctification that I am slowly becoming more and more like my older brother, Jesus Christ. And he says, I take care of the grasses and the fields and the beauty of the, the flowers. It really comes down to a matter of faith. If I'm worrying, if I'm going into a stress-out mode, if I'm ignoring reality, if I'm thinking that I'm, oh, everything's going to end in death, if I'm storytelling all these different scenarios, it really means, bottom line, my faith is weak. I don't believe God can take care of me. That's what worrying says. I don't believe God can take care of me. It becomes a little real, maybe a little bit too close to home. So his conclusion there in those verses that we're still looking at is, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. That's the lifelong pursuit of people who are far from God. 
What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? And the pagans say, oh, I've got to worry about this and this and this and this and this. And the Christian can look at this and say, yeah, I'm going to need to eat, so I need to work. I'm going to need clothes, so I'm going to work. I need a house, so I'm going to work. Work is still a good thing. God gave work to Adam and Eve before the fall for six, <laughs> six days. <laughs> no one saw that. Six days, they labored. They worked. So work is not the bad thing. Work is harder now because of the fall. But we still work. But the pagan works to live. They exist to have. I already know. I already know, and you already know. Your ending. We already know your ending. I don't know the details of how you're going to get to the ending, but I already know the ending. I already know for each and every one of you what the end story is going to be. If your name is written in the book of life, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you know him and depend upon him for your salvation, if you look to him for this life and the next, for all the comfort, then I know exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to die. That, that's going to happen. You're going to die. And of course, then they're going to take taxes. But you're going to die. And then something marvelous is going to happen in that moment when you breathe your last breath. You are going to be with Jesus. I don't know how that looks. I don't know how that feels. But you are going to be with him and you are going to be better than okay and safe. You are going to be triumphantly beautified, glorified in his presence and you will be wondering where has this been all my life? It's going to be good. It's going to be okay. Death isn't the end. Pain and suffering will be done. You will be with him forever and ever and ever. So when it comes to what clothes you wear, what food you drink, what you eat, where you live, what you have, what you don't have, it really doesn't matter. Because that day is going to erase from your mind everything that ever was in the way of worrying about life. It'll be gone. But Jesus says you can have that same mentality today. But you need to believe that he really is the God who says he is. That he really cares more about you than the amazing mountain views that we have in Pueblo. He cares more about you than those rabbits that flourish in our yard. He cares more about you than the trees and the flowers that will be budding soon in the spring. He cares more about you than that beautiful, clear night sky. He cares more about you than the rest of everything he created. Do you believe that? Say, yes, I believe that. Then you can have a life free from worry. He concludes by saying in verse 33 and 34 that this is indeed the right pursuit to have, this faith in Christ. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So all those things that I need in life, everything I need to eat and drink and wear and clothe myself with and, and, and my housing, all of that's going to be taken care of if I focus first and foremost 
on living for him and pursuing a life of faith, knowing that he is in charge and in care of me regardless of the circumstances. He said, I'll take care of the circumstances. And remember, just as a caveat, he takes care of the circumstances through normal means, meaning you work. Okay? That doesn't give us an excuse for being lazy and dismissive of life. We still have a responsibility because if we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if we're loving our neighbor as ourselves, we are going to be pursuing how to live in this world. And living in this world requires work and discipline and self-control. But God tells us, but if we seek that first, and his righteousness, that is his goodness, his value, his importance, all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, so we conclude in verse 34, the conclusion of this whole matter for us. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because January 6th of 2020 is going to have some stuff for us to deal with. I don't know what it is, but it's going to have stuff. And so he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. All right. Don't have to worry about tomorrow. Uh, For tomorrow will worry about itself. Okay. There's going to be stuff in tomorrow that I'm going to have to deal with. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, Jesus brings us back to reality here. Being a faith believer in God doesn't mean all of our troubles are gone. It doesn't mean we'll never get a letter from the IRS. doesn't mean we'll never get a phone call from the doctor. doesn't ever mean we'll get fired from our job. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen to us. But the pressure is off of us having to figure it out and worry about it. If I do my thing, I pursue God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I live for him. I focus on him. I seek his kingdom, his goodness. I seek serving others. I seek what he's called me to do. All these other things, they're going to happen, but it's not going to phase me. It's not that I'm going to ignore it. It just won't impact me and divert me from my first cause, loving him and loving others. Let's pray. Father, you put us into this world with its troubles. And Lord, there have been troubles that have been with us in 2019, and they're here with us again in 2020. And Lord, it is super hard not to worry about our health, about our finances, about our culture, about our nation, about this world. Lord, it seems to all be falling apart right around us. So help us, Father, we need you desperately to remind us each and every day to stay focused on trusting you. Help us, Father, by just looking up to the beauty of the sky at night and even in the day to remind us that if you take care of all of this, you're going to take care of us because we are valued immensely. And Father, nowhere is our value seen more in the sacrifice of your Son. It's to him that we look to for this trust, this hope, and this worry-free life. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen.